Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavides, UFC Flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Hello and welcome to It's Am Amazing Radio. I'm Dr. Law. Got Kid Presentable. Fuck, he's not here. Never mind. Got Lavender Gooms here. Got DJ Mark here. I'm keeping my voice down just on the chance that Francis Ngannou's lurking because I'm worried, folks. There's people out there like him that can hit you so hard for a beef moment you think, I think that man's head is in the third row. Just give him the mic, Bobby. That's all he wants. He wants the mic to talk about who to think and to abolish slavery. Honestly, like, I really just, like, he was going to talk as long as he wanted to talk. Joe Rogan was not going to take that microphone away from him. Joe knows what's what. <laughs> um, you don't we, you don't take the mic away from someone who's talking about Libyan slavery. And especially don't take the mic away from someone talking about Libyan slavery. After he just dragon punched Alistair Overeem's head into, you know, Utah. I, I mean, me and Bobby talked about it earlier, but I mean, for me, it's like Francis and Alistair had an allotment of 15 minutes to fight in the cage. He ended that early. That He has 14 minutes to do whatever the fuck he wants now. That's his time. So, yeah, if he wants to thank everyone and his mother, he wants to do a little dance. He wants to give an impromptu speech or a little rap battle. Hey, the floor is yours. You earned it. Um, Obviously, guys, we're talking about the results of UFC 218 from this past Saturday, coming to you from wherever the fuck they were coming to you from. Um, Headlined by Max Holloway and Jose Aldo. I thought it would hit me where they were. I don't remember still. Um, Detroit, Detroit. sir. Detroit, that's true. I was complaining about why aren't the people from Detroit on this card. Um, Alistar and Nganu threw down in the co-main event. Justin Gaethje and Eddie Alvarez left parts of themselves in that cage. Yancey Medeiros and Alex... Uh... Oliveira. Oliveira. I was about to say, I was mixing between Oliveira and the other one. Garcia did the same. Um, I dare to say, and we're still a month away from us putting out our year-end awards, that was the best card of the year. So there's a lot for us to get through. Um, and we also crowned a UFC champion on Friday. Talk about that moment a little bit, but uh, honestly, that's a sideshow compared to the, this main card. Uh, there's also a card this Saturday, about three hours from where me and Mark are right now, and we aren't going. Gives you a good indication that what's going on on that card. Um, but we're going to talk I about mean, it a little also bit. Said it's, he also said it's three hours away. It's not exactly close. I know, but that's technically it's an hour and a half, right? But it's there and back. Because we it's ain't only, staying in Fresno. Well, it's, it's longer than wait. It's, it's, it's at least two and a half hours to Fresno from here. I thought it was one and a half. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right and it's closer to three. Ugh, yeah, that's even more reason. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's at least two. Depending on where it's at least two. No, I think you're right. I think it's like, yeah, it's like an hour to sack. If no, it was an hour I'm and a half, we, if there was an hour and a half, I might be talked into this. All right, honestly. No, I'd right. be like, eh, okay, that's not that far. You're right. Yeah, it's a six hour round trip. Yeah, ain't half. It's got to be pretty stellar. Three hour round trip on Friday. I'm talking to you like, hey, man, we can go for like 30 bucks each. We'd go. All right, that's what would happen. All right, UFC 218 coming to you from. Is the Joe Louis Arena still a thing? Nope, but the Little Caesars Arena is. The Little Caesars Arena, which. Stupid name aside, uh, looked really nice. Looked like a really nice arena. Um, 
And the crowd looked hyped at the weigh-ins. I don't know why there were empty seats when they reported it as a way as a sellout at the main at the card itself. But um, let's get into it. Max Holloway and Jose Aldo um, went about three rounds. It took three round about two rounds, four minutes and fifty nine seconds. Actually, fifty one seconds. Marcus, um, it seemed like the difference between this matchup and the first matchup between the two was in the first one, Jose was hitting Max. And it looked like he was doing the first couple of rounds, and it looked like he was being real successful. In this one, Jose was hitting Max, but it looked like Max didn't care and was just waiting, his, waiting for his moment. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of similarities you can draw from the two matches. Uh, the obvious one being when it got finished and when Max kind of poured it on, both being in the third round in their first fight is when Max was able to, you know, put Aldo away. Um, yeah, and this one, I think both guys looked better than the last fight. I thought Aldo looked better. In the first fight, he definitely utilized his hands a little bit better. But in this fight, he went back to the leg kicks a bit more. I think maybe we could all agree that, you know, when he first started throwing the leg kick, I was hoping for more of those. I definitely thought that was an avenue where he could do a lot of damage and, you know, kind of take over. But he used them sparringly, but he did throw them out. So it was another tool that he was able to utilize in this fight to kind of get Max thinking about different things that Aldo would throw at him. But like you alluded to, Bobby, Max was super confident in this fight. I think coming off that that first fight where he was able to stop him gave him a lot of confidence that he could handle what Aldo was going to throw at him. And, you know, even though the first two rounds, I, I mean, I try to think about this fight, and it's all kind of a blur. It's yeah, probably because I mean, we had... Everything after the co-main event, the co-main event was, I feel, I couldn't pay attention after the co-main event for so long. Yeah, I'm having a hard time just remembering instances in the fight. But I def it, it seemed like... From what I can remember that, yeah, I thought Jose Aldo came out better. I thought Max came out a lot more confident. And overall, the the arc of the fight, I think, closely resembled that first fight where Max wasn't super aggressive in those first two rounds. He was definitely game. He was definitely in there. He was landing his shots as well. I, I can't even remember who I even gave the, the rounds to. But I won't be surprised if maybe Aldo got a round in there or two. But it was really in the third that Max really started putting it on. I think it was one-to-one -one from two judges. And I think somebody might have given Max both, which I thought was a little weird. Yeah, which so. could be the case. I mean, I, we did only watch this fight one time while it was live. And after the Nagano fight, I think it just... You, you were worried. Is Alistair dead back there? I yeah, saw him on the show. I wasn't list. sure he was alive, honestly. It could have been somebody, you know, doing a muffin. So... Um, but yeah, really, um, it, it was it was a great showing for Max. You know, it, it was kind of a lackluster matchmaking because he had just fought in Aldo and he had beaten him decisively. To come back to this fight, we talked about it last week. It wasn't super exciting on paper, but and I've also mentioned too that I've really, in my mind, I've downplayed you know what Aldo is capable of and the kind of fighter he is. I think the the Conor McGregor fight just is going to loom over my head for a long time with Aldo, but he is top tier. There's a reason why he was, you know, best in the world for so long. And now we're just seeing that Max is just a step ahead of him. And, you know, we've watched this kid for a long time look really good in the last couple of years making strides to get a lot better. And there's no question in my mind now that Max Holloway is just a better fighter than Jose Aldo. You know, although to take this fight on short notice, I think you do have to, you know, say that when, when you know, predicting and talking about this fight and assessing, you know, all those abilities and what he was able to show in the octagon. Right. Well, when you say he's better than him, we at least uh, we can say that for this given time, at least. I mean, at this point, I have no doubt in my mind that he's just a better fighter. You know, he had a full camp that first time and he beat him. It was a short notice fight for, for I mean, for both guys. I mean, Max knew he was fighting. That gives him a leg up. But Frankie Edgar is a completely different beast than Jose Aldo. You know, what they bring to the octagon, how they move, how they strike, the things they're good at and the, and the things that they're weaker on are just completely different. So, I mean, I think Max Holloway is 
undisputed in my mind to be the, the best at featherweight right now. And there's guys that you can throw at him to contest. And I think the biggest one is Connor because they did fight before and Connor was able to get a decision on him. But I'd be really interested to see that fight now, especially I don't think we ever will. First and foremost, um, I don't think Connor. Class. Yeah, I don't think Connor is. Yeah, and that's a good caveat too, Bob, because I don't think Connor's ever going to cut back to uh, 45. He just doesn't need to. And it's too difficult for him. But like you were alluding to, Bobby, Max looks really uh, that him on the scale hitting one 145. He is super drawn out, and it's just a matter of time before he's not going to be able to make well, that well, weight. Well, let's cut. talk about it because you mentioned Conor McGregor, and I wanted to turn to Mike here a little bit here because um, it was hard to find a lot of fault in Holloway, I guess, and what he did. But, Mike, I didn't like – and this might be just him recognizing what Aldo has, but I don't like how willing he is to get hit in the face because it seems like he was not worried about what Aldo could do to him because even at the end of the – even in the third round, Max is getting in the head or hit in the head a lot. And he's faced Connor before. And he didn't get knocked out. Um, it's also a hard fight, that one, to draw from, considering it was like four years ago, five years ago, and they both changed so much. But that's one of those things where I was thinking, like, I because Connor pops up in your head all the damn time in 45, 55, 70, anyway, class, honestly. I, there was times where I thought, man, he's going to have to not get hit in the face so much. Like, I don't, I'm not sure I like yeah. this plan as much as against somebody like somebody who has a touch of death basically yeah definitely i know after the fact considering everything he did in in that fight you know it, it looks so much better considering what the uh end result was but i remember thinking during the fight and having a sense of ooh this can end really bad for max holloway because i felt that on some level he was almost disrespecting Jose Aldo in the ring with how he was acting. I mean, he didn't make any effort at all to check any of the leg kicks. And in most fights before this, when Jose Aldo is actually throwing his leg kicks, that is a recipe for disaster. The way Max Holloway was just disregarding checking these leg kicks, I thought it was a Diaz brother in there. And I thought, yeah, oh, why this, is just get, this is just going to lead to bad real things. Real quickly, Mike, Mark, why did he – do you remember why he stopped throwing the leg kicks? Because he threw like two or three in the first round, and we were like, all right, let's keep throwing those. And then that was it, it seemed like, for a while. I, I, I mean, I, I couldn't tell you. It's It's been one of his best tools that it seems like in the most last couple of years, he just does not lean on much anymore. Yeah, I mean, we I talked don't know. about it. We, we, wanted, uh, we wanted leg kick Aldo to show up, and he looked like he did for a minute. Uh, Mike, sorry, go back to back to what you were saying. <laughs> Well, I was just saying that, you know, if Aldo had continued on maybe throwing those leg kicks, this fight would have been maybe a little different because it didn't really seem like Holloway was at all going to check those leg kicks. And I think back to in the third round when Holloway was starting to get touched up a bit, especially in that uh, in, in the slugfest, I think at that point, Aldo was already very tired. A lot of that, I think the pop had already left his hands. So I think Holloway had... No, already knew that already and was much more willing to stand in the pocket at that point. And I think that definitely could be trouble against Connor if that fight were ever to come to fruition. Uh, but I don't think he would comport himself in that manner in front of Connor. I think that the way, the way he was acting in front of Aldo was at the very beginning he was moving around more more than usual 
and he was allowing the leg kicks to happen, but he didn't allow Aldo to really try to touch him up in the face until the third uh, until the third um, third round. I don't think he would do that against Connor. Um, no, no, no. He had, a gr- the- he had a great performance, and I don't want to diminish the man's accomplishment there. I kind of felt bad for Max in that the most attention he got mainstream wise for this performance was when Connor tweeted at him, and then Max responded. Where I'm just like, man, you just laid a beating on Jose Aldo, but you just like Connor felt like tweeting something at you, which I like Connor keeping that fight alive in our minds. You know, shit. My, like I think I forgot what it even was. It wasn't anything inflammatory, but. That I mean, let's face let's face it. I, granted, I know part of the reason why is because Connor was only in the ring with Aldo for about eight seconds, mm-hmm. but the beating that Max Holloway put on Aldo was way more impressive than what Connor did. Uh, maybe. I don't know, man. He knocked the man out in thirteen seconds who hadn't lost in like ten years. That's still yeah. But thing. you can. Yeah, but I mean, I, I get Mike's argument because you can just you say can't talk it up to luck. But I mean, but it's just like they didn't. No, no, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, but, I mean, but Bobby, look, 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 Bobby, you, 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 you make a good point. You can't chalk it up to luck, but then here's a counter argument. You can also chalk that up to luck. No, I meant fucking Aldo's performance. I meant Max's performance against Aldo. That's the difference. I'm saying you oh, can't. Okay. No one can yeah. conceivably chalk that up to luck. Yeah, the, that's the exactly Connor one. Even though, exactly. I, even though I personally, and I think many, many of us probably do sometimes think like. You intended to throw that punch. You got he. You hit him with that punch. Doesn't seem that lucky to me. You know, lucky. I mean, but then again, you could just say, "Hey, man, he threw it. The guy hit. He never been knocked out before. He went out." Yeah, so. it, it, it's not. It's not lucky in that like, oh, he he meant to hit him, and it. It's lucky that like that shot landed as cleanly as it it did, and it put him away in one shot, and you didn't have to compete with this guy. You know, for multiple rounds. I think that's where the luck comes in. Is that not that you threw that shot? And you were you thought it was gonna miss, and then it hit, and you're like, "Oh shit, that was just that was a pitter patter punch that knocked him out." Because like, no. how how often how often in fights before that did Aldo rush into an opponent in that manner that he did against Connor? Nah, uh, he rushed in with Cub Swanson and kneed him in the fucking face and walked out. <laughs> I don't think he even rushed okay. in as much as he just kind of like looked at Cub. Oh, here are the knees. Fight over. Like, I don't think he even did. He didn't even move. I don't know. I think that was a rush in. I think those two guys ran at each other. Okay, we're, we're talking. We don't need to turn everything into a conversation about McGregor also, I realize. I know that's where we end up anyway. Anyway, But uh, we got a big car to go through. Let's get through it. Um, we'll talk. I'm going to talk about Jose Aldo a little bit later. Um, so and I'll incorporate the guys in this also. because, But we have a lot to get through um, with this card. We talked about it a little bit in the co-main event where... Alistar Overeem got hit harder than I think I've ever seen another human being get hit with a punch. I, off the top of my head, the only—I mean, I can't even think of one. Like Kung Lee hit Rich Franklin pretty hard, but that was pretty more so that he tipped over weird. I don't know. I, I Mark, that was scary. Like yeah, I'm having, I mean, I, I'll be honest. Of- in, in, in about two minutes, I'm gonna be like, "Hey, man, Alistar's been knocked out 14 times between MMA and kickboxing, and that's the ones we know of." What the, do we worry yet? That's coming up in this conversation. But yeah, go ahead. We're talking about the Nganu's murderous left hook or uppercut. Uppercut, mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean, and so there's a couple of things in play here. I mean, like we talked about breaking down the fight last week. Um, this matchup, Matt, you know, came together very well for Francis. You know, his biggest kind of strength in fighting is that he just has tremendous power. He knows how to pick those shots. 
And, you know, his twitch reflexes are, you know, ungodly. On the other flip of the coin, you know, we've always known Alistair Overham, like you mentioned, Bobby getting knocked out 14 times. When this guy loses, it's mostly to a devastating knockout. So this outcome was not all that surprising. Just how just how cleanly the shot landed and, you know, the viciousness of it all um, was a little bit um, surprising. And, and I think it, it really materialized because Alistair came in with, I think you can understand the mindset with the strategy that that they formulated for this fight, which seemed to be very much get off first, throw big looping punches. Mostly when he's doing that, he's using a like probably over-exaggerated head movement to, t- to try to stay off the centered line so he's not presenting Francis with you know easy counter opportunities. Now, one of the strengths of Francis that we talked about last week is that you know it's not just that this guy has, you know, at his athleticism and his, his explosiveness. I mean, he does have that, but really how he utilizes that is that this dude's eyes are open during the fight. You know, he's looking and he's assessing what's going on. And like I like we talked about last week, he finds those moments when those opportunities arise. And with his reflexes, he's able to counter on them extremely fast. And Alistar's, you know, his strategy here was to not be there when the punches were, you know, coming. But what he didn't really, or what his camp didn't really focus on was that, you know, while he's moving his head when he's throwing the big looping punches, with one, basically those punches, he's, he's, he's throwing blind. He's not looking at his opponent. His head is basically looking at the ground, and it's tilted off to the right or the left, depending on which punch he's throwing. So he's not even looking at his target. He's just throwing hands out there, hoping they land. And But what he's also doing is he's dipping down really deep. And, you know, Francis, his best punch is his uppercut. He's beaten Orlovsky with the right uppercut. He beat, I think it was like Luis Hernandez or something with a, a left uppercut that was somewhat similar to this one. But basically, Alistar threw these big looping hands, and he left his, you know, he left his head wide open down low. And Francis, and there's some contention when we're watching this fight. Francis and Bobby, I don't know if you watched the GIF again. That was a full-on, full-blown, hard-as-he-can left uppercut. That's why you saw Alistair's head basically get rock'em, sock'em off his freaking body, and he collapsed like a sack of potatoes. That was not a half, because there was some talk when we were watching the fight, Mike, that that wasn't a full blast punch. I don't know, man. Look like 80% power. Look like 80% power. He has more left. Bobby... The man's watch hand that was still gift. on his shoulders. I had that dude's times. hand with that uppercut is down at his fucking hip. That was full blast all the way coming up. This wasn't like he just ducked down. Like no, that was watch. Watch that gift. Watch that, and then watch really well, for sure. The man's head was still on his shoulders. I think he can get it for, for sure. It was at least eighty percent power. At least that. What makes it even worse is that Alistar's head is going down at that exact moment as well. It was. That's a uh, full honestly, that was, and you can that tell. Was you can punch. tell because when he hits, when he hits Alistar, he doesn't withdraw his hand back. That fist blasts through his fucking noggin. That's why you get the snap like that because he punched through his skull. That's a full. It, uh, it upsets me. Like, oh, we didn't pull that. Full. Look at look at that gif and look. The gif can't even capture all the frames that fist moves in because there's not that many frames a second that can catch the moment of the impact mount. That was a fantastic punch. And I mean. And really, without, you know, goes beyond saying, you know, this lines him up for a title fight. This, I think, even puts him kind of at a favorite because what this guy has shown in his fights, you know, this was easily his biggest test. You know, a guy with the accolades of Alistar, especially in the striking realm, even though, you know, he has faults there. We talked about, you know, he's not a defensive fighter, Alistar. 
But I mean, this was a huge knockout. It, I mean, it'll easily be on highlight reels for decades to come, you know, because you don't get something as brutal as that very often. Mike, something, um, don't, I something see... you don't see very often is uh, after the fight, Joe Rogan for sure assuring the guy, no, no, you're getting the title shot. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. You're getting it. He's, um, yeah, I'm more excited for uh, Nganu versus Stipe than any heavyweight title fight I can think of since probably the first time Junior faced Kane, I think. That was the last time where I'm like, okay, both these guys are very good. Like, I want to see these heavyweights. I want to see what's going to happen. Um, hell, I want to be I want to be in the arena for this one. Though, if they do it right, this thing will happen in Cleveland, and I won't be anywhere near that horrible, horrible place. Um, yeah, I, I, this should happen in Cleveland. They should pay Stipe. Pay him whatever you want to pay him, whatever he wants. Apparently, Stipe was annoyed. He was making less money than his last two opponents. Let me tell you, right now, Stipe makes more money than Francis Ngannou. Francis Ngannou probably making like 30 and 30. I just want to say this about Ngannou too. If the UFC can't make this motherfucker into a star, just pack it in, man. Because he ex he looks the part. He shows up. He you wears know, a snazzy fucking suit. You know who also looks the part? He, let me finish. He, look, he he speaks well enough English. He hits harder than any anybody I've ever seen hit a person. All right? He, I swear to God, Come on. The people are into him. He got a lot of cheers. People are hyped on Francis Ngannou. I'm not saying he's going to be Conor McGregor, but if he can't sell you 400,000, 500,000 pay-per-views, you are fucked up as a promotion. Mike? Mike? Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, we've seen... Am I muted? Mm -mm. No, you're good. Oh, you're on okay. fire. Um... No, I mean we've seen we've seen black superstars before in the UFC, uh, that you know haven't worked out. Um, I mean John Jones had his own problems, but John Jones was a man who looked the part. John Jones was a man who had prodigious skills, and shit, John Jones is an American from New York, and I mean. John Jones yeah, sells like it. seven. John Jones sells like seven hundred thousand pay per views. I'm not even asking for that much. I'm asking for five hundred. Sadly, I don't even think Ngannou will get that much. I'm telling you, find a way. Put him on whatever you need to put him. Send him on a send him on a send him on a talk show. Just put him on there. Have have him next to Conan and have have Conan do his thing where he's just scared of the guy. You know, anytime he gets a big large man on his show, that's Conan's shtick. We've all seen it for twenty years. It's funny. Do that. Just do that. He. He's one of the co-owners. He's one of your clients. I want to see this William Morris Endeavor powerful marketing machine behind somebody who isn't a blonde woman or Luke Rockhold. Because uh, Ben Folks pointed this out on his podcast. Those Toyo Tires, tires commercials had Luke Rockhold and um, Paige Van Zandt. Luke Rockhold's an excellent fighter. He really is. Paige Van Zandt isn't a bad fighter. But Mike... Go ahead. What, what what do we see in common with these two people that are on this uh, in this commercial for Toyo Tires? They are both beautiful human beings. Yeah, beautiful Just white beautiful. people too. Hey, is it Anthony Pettis in those commercials? Man, well, that's uh, pretty Tony Pettis is an exception. He's uh, he's, he's from La Raza. <laughs> he's just yeah, he's a pretty Tony Pettis man. Just a, you know, he's just he's a he's, he's too handsome. You can't you can't overlook but, that. But find a way to make him a I, I, I think what you were trying to, to get at. 
I think what you're trying to get at is that it's a bunch of gringos on those commercials. Honestly, it's just they got to look. It's just the UFC has been trying to get 18 to 30-year-old white dudes to watch their shit. And all the 18 to 30-year-old white people are gonna that are going to watch this thing are already watching. All right? Let's get some other people to watch. Um, Alistair Overeem. Well, I, want, I want Alistair Overeem to take like six months off at least. That's all I'm asking for. What do you think, Mark? Well, I was going to talk about Francis selling power because I, I putting on a talk show, I think, is part of it. But really, it's just show that clip because in combat sports, it has never been a very tough sell to sell a heavyweight with monstrous power. So I think it's just getting people to see what he did to Alistair and how that punch landed, how it rocked that dude. I think that's how you sell fights. I think, and I, and I think it's word of mouth, right? Because next time he's fighting, hopefully Stipe, people are saying like, yo, you got to see this beast, man. Look at, look at this gif of him taking this dude's head off. And that sells the fight right there. It's like, I want to see this guy. Because Francis, I, don't, I haven't heard enough of his interviews besides the post-fight after the octagon. So I think that this guy can command the mic like some of the greats that we've seen in UFC, like Connor and like Chael Sonnen. He doesn't have that grasp of the English language or kind of that sense of humor to kind of, you know, play off Conan. But I think you're right. The, the, the Conan thing is just like, man, you're a huge dude. And let's see this clip of you knocking the shit out of this guy. Oh, that's, man, you're a powerful. I mean, I think that's the kind of like, it's just getting people to see like, Look that's at a, this. The heavyweight point's an excellent point, and so is that. And I, you mentioned the gift. That was the number two post on Reddit for about 12 hours. Was Francis Ngannou. I saw it like 18 hours later. Ngannou's knockout was like number 10 in all of Reddit, all popular posts. And that is my measuring stick of whether something lands anymore because that's where the internet is. That is the accumulator. I guess. It's not an aggregator. Better word, aggregator. Of everything is right there. Um, just find a way, man. And you're right, Mark. He's a heavyweight. It doesn't take much to make a heavyweight a big deal. They sold 560,000 pay-per-views with Junior Dos Santos and Frank Mir as the headliners. Yeah, people always I like the Mark big Hunt sells pretty well, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Oh, you want, don't do that. To, you want to send Mark Hunt to fight Francis Ngannou? Is that what you're trying to no, do? No, 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 no. I'm whoa, just, whoa. I, I'm just saying. I'm just saying that when it comes to heavyweights, if it's someone that knocks people the fuck out. That's normally a pretty good indicator for at least two, 200, 300 uh, pay-per-view buys. I think you get 300,000 pay-per-view buys, heavyweight title fight, no names. And, you know, and, and, and Mark Hunt, he's a man with a 500 record. Francis Ngannou, I think he's undefeated, is he? I think he's got one loss he has really one early loss, on. Yeah. He was the star of this show, in my opinion. For a card he was that the was one truly I excellent, see. he was, we came out of it, I think the first thing you talk about is Francis Ngannou. And this card wasn't exactly, you know, lacking of shit to talk about. Um, over I thought for sure the first thing we were going to talk about was, uh, you know, Angela Magana surprisingly losing again. That And that's the last time you're hearing her about her on this episode. Alistair Overeem has been knocked out in kickboxing. Uh, looks like three times. He's been knocked out in mixed martial arts. Buh, 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 buh. Jesus, 11 times. Um, it's a lot of knockouts. He's had 60 MMA fights and like, I don't know, 10, 15 kickboxing batches. He's still a big deal. He was probably right at one win, a one or winner or so away from a title shot. I'm just saying we probably don't see, we probably shouldn't see this guy fight till like July. 
my opinion. If he's gonna keep, if, he, if we're gonna do that, that seems fair. Yeah. I mean, what do you should think? take some time off. This was a really tough knockout. He needs to go back to the drawing board. But I mean, at the same time, I don't think he's gonna hang it up anytime soon. He does no, have no, this. No, I don't think he is either. It is just I'm just saying with guys like this, like we saw with like. I mean, he's a totally different fighter than Justin Gaethje, but we saw Justin Gaethje get his brains bashed in six months ago, seven months ago. Give me, give me some time with the guys who have a high. Don't book him on a China and a card in China in three weeks is what I'm getting at. Yeah, Basically. that'd be a foolish mistake to make again, and a little different circumstances too. I mean, yeah, but you know what I mean. I mean, that's a high, that's a, a hyperbolic situation. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, we still that. criticize the shit out of having Bisping yeah. on that card. So I mean, if they did the same thing with Alistair, we'd be like. You're insane. You're literally just trying to kill if you, this man. If you, Alist- if you told me Alistar was fighting the first week of March, I'd still be like, man, it's only 12 weeks. Maybe we uh, maybe we wait a little longer. Um, all right. Um, we're not going to get into this car fight at all. Henry Cejudo and Sergio Pettis because Henry Cejudo fought the way Henry Cejudo needs to fight to just get a W, which I don't blame him a lot of times. But if he was going to get a title shot, he needed to put a stamp on it, and he's not getting a title shot. Um, Eddie Alvarez, Justin Gaethje. You know, as this fight got closer, I told myself, man, I'm really, really hyped for this. Maybe I should start tempering my expectations. But I didn't, and I went in with a full, like, my hype was as high as it could be. And Mark uh, 100% lived up this fight in every word, every possible way it lived up, if not more. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We saw a 14 minute and 51 second technical term of slobber knocker, I guess, because nobody stopped. They just kept throwing. Yeah, I mean, yes. Uh, last week when we were talking about, um, you know, basically how you've been, you know, a big fan of Gaethje for a long time and how, you know, happy you were, were that when he made his his opening fight in the UFC, you know, you really got to see what this guy was capable of and, and what made him a star. And we almost saw the exact opposite of that with Eddie when he came over to the UFC, right? Like, with his fight with Cerrone, he seemed tentative and lost that fight. The two next fights with Gilbert and uh, Pettis, on paper, both seem a lot like this uh, Justin Gaethje fight. They should have been barn burners, but Eddie resorted to a wrestling game that, you know, resulted in wins, but mediocre, you know, fight fan flair. You know, they weren't exciting fights to watch. Um, he fought those annuals, and that's kind of where we saw Eddie back at his best when he was letting his hands go and just really womp that ass. And it was just, it was a, it was a highlight of his career for sure to win the belt fighting the way he did. And then with Connor and even uh, Dustin Poirier, he just didn't look like the same guy. I mean, Connor really just took some years off of him, just giving him a, a beating for two rounds. And then the Gaethje, I mean, not Gaethje, the, um, the Poirier fight was very similar. Eddie was getting tuned up. He was eating a lot of punches and due to an illegal knee, it became a no contest. So I think coming into this fight, you knew that these guys match up extremely well. And we were all hoping for a fun fight, but you never know with Eddie because we've seen him resort back to to ways of, of winning fights in, in non-exciting ways. Even though he seemed highly motivated to go in there and have an exciting fight, you just never know. You know, we've seen a lot of fights on paper where Eddie and this guy should just have, you know, fight of the year fights and they just didn't come to fruition. We got that in this fight and it was mostly, I think, because Eddie was super focused on having the kind of fights that he used to fight where he had a lot of high volume strikes Utilizing power punches consistently, um, and then Gaethje just always game. You know, we saw that. Yeah, in his Johnson ha- I fight. almost think it's almost impossible, short of having some sort of like, not that Gaethje can't be taken down. He's a very good wrestler, but he's not. You know, fuck, I don't know. GSP probably takes him down or whatever. Or the elite guys, you know, or whatever weight class. But it's I just the way he fights, he forces you to fight him this way because if you don't, he's standing in front of you, kneeing, elbowing, and kicking the shit out of you along with punches. 
Uh, Mike, is your fight of the year Justin Gaethje versus Eddie Alvarez or Justin Gaethje versus Michael Johnson? <laughs> Ooh. Hmm. <laughs> I, I I think as much as I like the the fight this weekend. I would still have to give it to Justin Gaethje, uh, Michael Johnson, just because there was so much more of a Justin Gaethje was right at the brink of losing that fight, and he was able to bring it all the way back in that fight. So was it, it was also a lot for you, more of a seesaw of emotions. Was it also for you that you didn't necessarily like? I'm sure you've heard me talk about that. The man's just a fighting car wreck, um, but you really didn't know what you were getting into necessarily yet. At that point, no, I hadn't. I hadn't watched not one second of Justin Gaethje uh, before the Michael Johnson fight. Um, I was saying because I've been way. I, I mean, this was a good night for the Bobby bandwagon, where Justin Gaethje lives up, Francis Ngannou lives up. It was great. Um, because it doesn't matter to me that he lost to Francis or Justin Gaethje. Um, MMA at its best, in my opinion, is when when the fight is over. You don't think less. I guess think less might be no one. Neither person's position has really been diminished. If that makes sense, where yeah, when, know, uh, like, I when mean, you he, honestly, a fight like, and you just think. I just thought with like the main, even like the, I mean, the main event. Uh, there was a lot of fights um, on this card where even like, even like I didn't think I don't I didn't walk out of this thing like I mean a whoosh up. I, I didn't walk out of this thinking like. Less of Jose Aldo, honestly. I didn't walk out of this thinking less of really a lot of guys. It's just because when the fights are good and it's – and this is going to sound kind of sappy, but this fight was over and I'm like, these two gave us that. They gave us that performance and took months, days, years, whatever off their lives or their their ability to function well at that point in their lives, I guess, for us. And – it's I I just I, not every fight has to be like that, but I walked out of this fight just thinking, wow! Like I was just thankful for, thankful from both of them. I'm not, I'm not wording this great, Mike. But you think you understand what I'm saying here? We're like I walked out with a sense of appreciation more so than I like. I mean, I always appreciate what these guys do, but I was just supreme. I was just you know they were I was it was almost they were too generous with their effort. Yeah, because I think that the times when a fight finishes and your opinion on one of the fighters is diminished as a result of that fight. Um, that normally means you didn't enjoy that fight as much as you should have, because as, as great as it is when someone, let's say we all like, um, you know, two pieces, somebody and just dominates them. That's not really what we want to see. What we want to see is competition in the highest form. You want to see? I guess is I want to see everybody fight we, to the level I think they're capable of. Like, let's say, like I mean, Henry Cejudo. I've been loving Henry Cejudo recently. And Mark, I want to get your opinion on this too. Where it's like, I know what Henry Cejudo's capable of. You know, so I didn't walk out of his. I mean, I feel when I feel like they're not like you want everybody to fight to their potential. Or what they're fully capable of. And we saw that in this fight times a thousand. Compared to sometimes where you watch a fight where like Cejudo and Pettis where it was over. And I'm like, I don't think either one of them really gave me everything they're capable of. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you guys are just waxing poetic about what made Japanese MMA special when Pride was around. Like this is the exact mentality 
And this is the exact reason why I nominated Akira Soji into the thing, because it wasn't about this dude winning, and it was never about winning in Pride. It was always about we respect the fans as fighters, and we want to put on a show. So that means I'm going to try my fucking hardest, not just to win the fight, but to beat this guy and put on a show for you. Because at the end of the day, that was the whole mentality around the organization was like, look, we want to put on exciting fights so the Japanese people keep coming and enjoy this product. And they rewarded you from that. And that's why so many times in Pride, after the fight, it's like, you know what? It's exactly what you said, Bobby. Like, these fans don't look down at you for losing when you went out there and you tried your hardest. And we can tell. You can tell when a dude's trying his hardest to win a fight. We can tell when Henry Cejudo is leaning on his wrestling skills and not going for finishes because he wants to win the fight. And that's the most important. I know, look, we, we get why they do that. The structure of payment in the sport and all that stuff, it lends to doing that a lot of times. It's not necessarily their fault, but you only are capable of so much, so many accolades, I guess, from the fan base at that point. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 you can tell when someone is just playing it safe and writing it out. And I think that's, some, that's a lot of times when I'm very critical of DJs. It's like, I know this dude's capable of more. I know he can be beating these guys quicker. He can be doing a lot more than he is. But he's playing it. He's playing it safe. He's playing it smart, you know. And that's the thing is like, as much as I want to criticize any fighter for like, you could have done more. You could you could try to finish these guys harder. You can throw more strikes here. You can throw harder. You know, it's easy. It's so easy from the outside saying try harder when you know your physical condition and your mental capacity, you know, isn't at danger. You know, I'm not in the ring fighting these guys. I'm not the one that if I go too aggressive, I get knocked out and you know. Years are taken off my life, which is, you know, this is really all we have, right? It's just the time on this earth. So to put your life in jeopardy for accolades is kind of silly, but that's what gives you the, the fans, you know, yeah. fan of, of well, it's also like, we saw we're, not saying, we're not saying you got to just go slanging and banging and swinging and swinging. The best version of Henry Cejudo might be where he takes you down, but then he beats your ass and finishes you. That's the thing. I like I, that might be the best version of him, and that's okay. Like I want to see the best version of everybody, and the best version of whatever you're doing. There's an avenue where you try to end that fight. You know what I mean? You can't convince me that there's like the best version. Thank you, Windows, for that. Um, everybody just heard my phone, my computer go off like that. Um, the best version of you. There's no scenario where the best version of you is you just hang on to win, or you get on top of this guy and don't finish. Like. The best version of whatever you're trying to accomplish in the cage and your skill set ends with you finding a way to end this opponent. Yeah. And again, just harping back to the Japanese MMA pride era, it was just like guys like Mark Kerr and stuff didn't get over super big in Japan because they would win, but it would be lackluster. They just they would stall the guys out and just work for that W instead of working for that finish. And you can tell. I mean, you can just tell. We, we see fights all the time where a guy's in control and he's going to get that W, but he's not going to put that extra effort or, or risk, you know, physical harm in losing a match to try to finish the guy. And we totally understand that. And I think when you're a competitor in a, a physical combat sport like this, that becomes even more prevalent that like, look, at, I need to get W's to maintain my health, to get, you know, be financially stable and, you know, to be able to provide for my family or for myself. And that totally makes sense. I totally agree with that. I understand where they're coming from, but you get extra kudos if I see you trying really hard you get, you know, you get my attention. You get more time on our podcast if I think you're busting your ass trying to put on an entertaining fight for me. And I mean, that's what we saw with uh, Justin and Eddie. Is we knew going in that we could potentially see that fight. I think it was safe to be a little bit hesitant, but that's exactly what we got. And you know, it's, it's to kind of turn back to the fight because I think there's a lot to kind of take away here. And I think when uh, you asked Mike about 
you know, is this fight better than Gaethje and Michael Johnson? And I think Mike hit on a point that I think is very obvious to see, but there's subtle differences between the two fights. Is that yeah? And the Johnson uh, Gaethje first, and, and, and you know, in that fight, they both got rocked with with massive headshots and had to come back from that from that. But this fight was different because they were getting rocked in different ways, right? Gaethje's just getting ripped apart in the body, and Eddie Alvarez getting his legs torn apart. They both had those moments where it's like, shit, this could end. Gaethje hits another leg kick or two. Eddie could be done. Or another body shot could put Justin away. And I feel like the drama is just not there with body shots and leg kicks as much as it is when you see some dude get cracked and you see him doing the fish dance. You know, that's a lot more visually. You can tell, like, that dude's hurt. That dude can't even stand up straight. When a dude gets rocked to the body, it's not always apparent, right? There's a delay reaction to the pain. And if a dude doesn't double over, a lot of times you just see him wince a little bit, you know, and that's kind of the best you get. It's a it's a subtle kind of damage, and it's something that you mentally can kind of fight through, right? Like when you take a hard body shot, you can grimace and try to hide your pain. I mean, when you get domed in the head, like the, the lights turn off, right? There's nothing you can do. You know, your circuitry is off, and you just crumple to the floor. But when you get a leg kick, you have to, you know, you play that poker face. Like, that didn't hurt me. I may be switching stances. I may be limping around as much, but it's a different type of fight. And I think the excitement is a lot more apparent when dudes are getting cracked in the dome. Um, and, and watching this fight a second time, you know, Bobby, I think we, we you asked me that same question when we watched it. And I was like, this fight's fresher. And I think it was a little bit more dramatic because at the end of that third round, getting towards the end of this fight, those dudes had nothing left. There was nothing in the gas tank anymore. And that's when Eddie landed that knee in the clinch he was surprised it downed Gaethje. I was surprised because it didn't I, I honestly thought I, th I thought I was a pointer. I'm not sure I said this out loud. Where I thought I don't think punches are going to end this man. Like, yeah, it's not going to. I mean, and, and, and you know, to kind of break down the fight, one of the things Justin did really well in this fight is he covered up his dome really well. His defense for punches to the head were really were spectacular because Eddie came at angles. He was throwing uppercuts and hooks. You had to protect all sides of your dome not to take big punches and. He did a good job. He did, he did so good that Eddie had to revert to going to the body and found a lot of success there. Um, yeah, so it was just an amazing fight. And, you know, Eddie's face getting swollen up. And that last round where Gaethje's just blasting his legs with leg kicks and Eddie just doesn't have an answer. It looked like – because really this fight was won for Eddie in that second round because Gaethje threw almost no leg kicks in that second round. If Gaethje threw more leg kicks in that second round, I think he would have beat Eddie in the third also, Gaethje just wasn't as active as Eddie was. Eddie, very rarely in this fight, only threw one punch. They were always in combinations, and the few times Gaethje would counter or come forward, very rarely did he throw more than one punch. And when he did throw combinations, he usually landed as well. So what, my takeaways in this fight were that Eddie still has it. Like, there's still a fight in this guy, which I was starting to doubt after the Connor and Dustin matches. This dude still has it in it, and we saw in the second round, like, when he's feeling it and his confidence is going, he can really let his hands go. And the other turn is here is like Gaethje is still very much a, a game dog. And like I said, a few minor adjustments and how we kind of got ready for this fight and how we can improve in the future. I think he could easily beat Eddie in a rematch. I think if he just was a little bit more active, let his hands go a little bit more and definitely utilize the late kicks more frequently, especially when it came to that second round, I think he could have won this match. And I would love to see these two fight again. I think, you know, it's only a matter of time in some instance, but at the same time, Justin Gaethje is a new guy at lightweight in the UFC, and there's just a ton of fun matchups you can throw this guy against that if they don't come back to Eddie Alvarez, 
I don't think you're not, I don't think you're doing Justin a disservice there because I think he matches up really interesting with a lot of guys in this weight class. And he's a young kid. This is his first loss. I think he's going to grow exponentially after this fight. I think his skill set's only going to get better. I think he's going to learn a lot from this fight. And um, I'm really interested to see where both these guys go. And, and Bobby, I think that's what you were kind of alluding to. I don't think I don't think anyone I don't think anyone thinks any less of uh, Justin Gaethje. I think we're all just excited to see him fight again because this guy you know consistently puts on slobber knockers. Um, pick up the pace a little bit here, um, Mike. I'm gonna get you to decide. Do you want to spend your time talking about Tisha Torres, Michelle Waterson, Paul Felder, Charles Oliveira, or Hawaiian Diaz brother Yancy Medeiros versus Alex Oliveira? Uh. Obviously, it's not going to be Tisha Torres Watterson because of those three, that was the sadly the most boring fight. It wasn't that Tisha bad, honestly. Torres did what Tisha, Tisha Torres do what Tisha Torres do. That's what that yeah. fight was. Yeah. As uh, as Mark put it last week, she basically did what Mark said she was going to do to a T. Yeah, I came out of this. Fight, I came out of this fight saying, "Let's just book you, uh, Rose versus Joanna twice or two. That's what I came out of this fight with. Just book the rematch, because I don't think either of these girls deserve a title shot anyway. Obviously, the one who lost didn't. Go ahead, though, Mike. Uh, besides that, um, you know, Yancy, Medor- Yancy Maderas, a.k.a. Uh, Hawaiian Nick Diaz, um, he had a great fight, at least from what I saw from the clips. I didn't start watching until the main event. Oh, but, oh. Uh, oh, Mike, this was – we I heard, that, I, heard that was, I heard that was a fight of the year candidate, that one. It was for about an hour and a half <laughs> until yeah, Gaethje and Alvarez happened. We were sitting there like, man, I hope these kids get paid. And they did, thankfully. <laughs> but I, I did tune in um, to see Paul Felder's vicious elbows. That was when I actually turned on my TV when I got home. That was that was pretty sick. Man, Paul Felder was playing the the Alan Belcher versus um, Husamar Paul Hardis game, Marcus. Just hanging out. You know, just hanging out in that Oliveira guard a lot for no apparent reason, and then finally uh, put him away with some ground and pound, right? Uh, as I, I missed. Are we talking about uh, Yancey still or Paul Felder? Felder. I kind of lost. Paul Felder. Oh, Felder. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm having a hard time remembering how he just how he beat Charles. It was ground and pound, right? Because I couldn't remember if it was a standing elbow. I think the even. pizza showed up somewhere around this time. Yeah, I might have gotten a little distracted, but <laughs> no, it was a good win because I mean, uh, Charles Oliveira is you know an extremely skilled guy, and uh, I think Paul Felder kind of needed a you know a, a kind of a big marquee win um, because I, I feel like he hasn't. We've seen him in some fights where he just looked amazing, and we've seen a couple losses here too. And I think his last couple fights, you know, I'm his last couple fights, he's all winning by elbows. So uh, I mean, he's definitely kind of a star in the making. We haven't really seen him compete and win against like the the upper echelon of the division quite yet he has losses to barboza and trajilo and ross pearson um and the guys he's been aren't quite of the same caliber but this dude's you know a seriously legitimate threat at uh 155 and uh yeah his his ground and pounds vicious you know the dude knows how to you know uh really slice you open with those elbows and do serious damage so it'll be it'll be really interesting to see how he kind of plays into the rest of this uh division I mean, just looking at this card alone, I mean, Paul and Gaethje could be an interesting fight, too. I mean, that's the thing. Is like, Gaethje, you can almost throw anyone on the other side, and that's a fun fight. Felder kind of falls in that as well, so. Yeah. Um, Medeiros and uh, 
Oli not Oliveira. It was Oliveira. Medeiros and Oliveira, they got a fight of the night along. There was two fights. They, they gave all they gave the, uh, all the combatants in um, Medeiros, Oliveira, Alvarez, and Gaethje fight of the, uh, the performance bonuses. And then you're wondering, you're probably wondering, yo, what about Francis Ngannou? Dana White, as he put it, Dana White said, man, Francis Ngannou lives at the damn performance, uh, the UFC Performance Center or whatever it's called. Um, he says, I am, he says, I'm going to make it right. I don't want this guy coming to my office on Monday morning. So Francis got his check too. Uh, I, uh, we, I started watching somewhere in the middle of, um, or so actually, no, I started watching from Felice Harry, Courtney Casey, which was gross when the one girl threw blood at the other girl. Uh, Tamor and Cossie was all right. Yeah, it was weird. Casey threw blood at Felice Herring. Then they started flipping each other off. Real weird. Um, but uh, this card was excellent. But I want to give a, some quick attention because we're already like 40 or 50 minutes almost into this. To the tough finale the night before where I'm pretty confident. I know Mike didn't make it all the way to the end because he was. Mike, you were watching this whole fucking pointless card. And you passed out on the two fights that mattered at all. Um, yes. yes. Yeah. That is correct. Uh, Nico Montagna, uh, which was – I wish Steph was here because Steph liked her a lot. Um, took on Roxanne Mataferi, someone we all love. Um, had the pleasure of meeting uh, Roxanne actually uh, a couple years ago in Kansas City when she was fighting for Invicta. Um, they, went, they went five rounds, and it wasn't the most technical battle necessarily in the world, but it came out, and I just was – I mean, when it was over – Neither girl had anything left. Like, they gave it everything they had. Nico was just a little bit more successful getting on top of Roxanne, landing god shots. Um, she's only 5-2. and two, um, And she's 28 years old. Uh, it's it's hard. It, I know this was hard. We talked about it uh, our, on the show, how it was hard to get hyped for this thing because I think under pretty much everybody's opinion was the best 125-pound female fighter was not on this show. And it was likely somebody moving down from 135 or somebody moving up from 115. Uh, that being said, it was an excellent fight. Um, props to Nico Montagna. Roxanne took the fight on one day's notice because the, a girl who was supposed to be in the show, be in the finale, uh, got kidney failure at, 100, at about 130 pounds. So she couldn't make it down to 125. Um, so, yeah, she probably shouldn't fight that weight class anymore. Uh, Sean O'Malley versus Taryn Ware. Sean O'Malley, people knew uh, the the skinny white kid with the sideshow Bob haircut, um, who was on the Dana White looking for a fight that Snoop Dogg fucking loved. Snoop Dogg loved this kid. He's got he's got a lot of potential. He's got good movement. He's got good hands. His whole strategy where he puts his hands down and just try to dodge punches um, by movement works well until he gets tired and he starts getting hit in the face a lot. Um, it was a good fight though. Him and Taron Ware. I don't know the scenario where people go back and find a way to watch these things, but. Both of those were worse your time. Mike, was there anything from any of those fights beforehand that stuck out to you? Besides no. the abundance of shitty arm bars. Uh, one thing I did think about the arm bars was that considering that most of the women that were getting caught by those arm bars were the ones from Tough, and considering most of these women have maybe four pro fights, maybe five pro fights, mm. it really did make me think, man, these seem like really shitty arm bars these women are getting caught with. Oh, wait. It's because they're all basically still new pros. 
That's why they're all getting caught by like the same thing. Um, if you guys can find a gif of it, Brett Johns, uh, that calf slicer on Joe Soto in 30 seconds. That was pretty sick, Mike. Anytime anybody gets a calf slicer, it's cool. All right? Just simple as that. Uh, I don't remember. One, one thing I, I always hate is a uh, six-fight main card. Because um, it starts at 10 p.m. never happens. It starts at and 10 p.m. Eastern. And I, I was I was half asleep by, like, the fourth round of Roxanne and uh, Nico Montagna. You'd been asleep for about you an think hour at that point. You were half asleep. <laughs> you were asleep yeah. at that point. Um, like, you're crowning a, the inaugural fucking champion, and you're having a six-fight main card. Yeah. No one's staying up to watch that. Yep. Word. <laughs> um, this Saturday, the UFC is going to be in Fresno at the Save Mart Center, um, an event, a venue that Mark and I have been to at least once, maybe more, to be honest. I don't remember. Um, we drove down to cover a Bellator event for free and then drove back that same night. But this, we're not driving to this. We're not going to drive there and give you money. Um, Cub Swanson, Brian Ortega, Jason Knight, Gabriel Benitez, Marlon Moraes, Aljamain Sterling. The rest of it, not worth paying attention to. Maybe Alexis Davis and Liz Carmouche, which I'm convinced has happened at least twice. Uh, you got to imagine it happened at least once. <laughs> yeah. Those are two old vets. There's yeah. there only so many girls' bodies to go around. Oh, uh, yeah, they fought before at least once. Um, yeah, Luke Sanders is fighting, um, which I point out because if you're a big Becky Lynch fan and if SmackDown isn't running a house show, you might get a chance to meet Becky Lynch if you're at the arena. Um, but yeah, this isn't, I mean, it's got the top three fights are relevant. Um, well, relevant is pushing it with Jason Knight. Jason Knight's just cool. Um, has one of my favorite nicknames in MMA, Hick Diaz. Just a hillbilly Diaz, brother. Um, Cub Swanson, Brian Ortega, main event. Uh, we talked about this fight last week on the show, how Brian Ortega probably deserves a title shot if he wins. Um, he's 12-0 right now, 12-0-1, because there was that time he tested positive for Drostanolone. And I point out Drostanolone because that's like testing positive for Stanazol. It's well done, failing for something like that. Um, why is this card happening in Fresno? Um... With Cub Swanson and, uh, you know, why is Cub Swanson fighting there on this card? Um, what you're seeing is the result of being on the last fight of your UFC contract. And the UFC wanting to put you in a position where if you do lose, they can give you something. The opponent who beats you is useful. But if you do win, we're not going to make it so not so that many people see you fight in case you want to leave. A good example of this would be when the UFC sent Benson Henderson to fight in Korea at 2 in the morning against Jorge Masvidal, uh, the world last fight on his contract. So there's that. Um, I think Brian Ortega is going to get his ass whooped. Anybody disagree with me? We're not picking this, but just your opinion. I think he's going to get his ass whooped. Yeah, no. I mean, it's definitely something. He's not ready, player. and I think. I don't think he's ready. Yeah, I nothing think, about his nothing. Sorry, Mark, go ahead. No, I, I just I think Cub is just a better fighter. I think um, you know Brian Ortega is. I don't want to say he's like a one note guy, but like obviously his ground game is where he excels at. Um, when it's standing, you know his skills are a little bit more rudimentary, and that's kind of where Cub, you know, gets his uh, bread buttered. He's a great stand up fighter. He utilizes kicks very well, and I feel like Brian's gonna have a hard time finding out how to get this dude to the ground. I mean, once he does. 
the playing field really kind of wobbles back in Brian Ortega. I mean, Cub Swanson's also, you know, he knows his jujitsu and he knows what to, to watch out for. But Brian Ortega is kind of on a different level. And we've seen many times, you know, late in the fight, Brian's able to pull it out when he's losing even. So, you know, I, I think Cub does have to be mindful that, you know, at any point in this fight, um, if he gets lackadaisical, especially on the ground, even on top, that he could potentially get caught. But he should be able to keep it standing and kind of blast him out with kicks is kind of what I'm predicting. He's just the kid's losing all these fights he wins. Like, I remember at least two or three of them where I'm like, oh, that's not, he's not going well here. Oh, miracle triangle. Oh, miracle guillotine. Just saying. Um, Marlon Moraes, Aljamain Sterling. Winner of that fight's pretty close. I don't know. Aljo's got to win one of these fights for us to get actually excited about this guy, right, Mike? He doesn't beat anybody of relevance ever. Yeah, Aljamain... Uh, I remember a few fights ago before he signed his extension, there was talk that maybe he would be a hot commodity if he went over to Bellator. And, you know, it really just hasn't come to fruition for him. Um, I mean, he beat Henan Barrow, but it was hard to get anything out of that fight with Henan Barrow at this point. Yeah, you know, it, it, it seems that at this point, it, it's not that Henan Barrow still isn't a very solid fighter, but it, it's almost a bit less of a stocking what is it stocking in your cap what is it called feather a feather in your hat a, a feather in your feather hat in your to cap. be um feather in your cap at this point. you had cap you already hat, had cap hat, why do you, you, why do you size you... okay um all right um we're gonna do memoirs of a fight fan and mark the one we talked about i want you to write that down somewhere because we're not doing that one but i want to use that next week um the one we're going to do, and then I just, I was, it, it struck me, I, th- I thought about it on my drive home, is in your opinion, and you know what? You can give two people because I got two. Who is most under, who, name, two, in your opinion, who are, who are the most underappreciated UFC fighters? And by underappreciated can mean unappreciated to the fans, underappreciated to the UFC, whatever you want it to mean. Um, I'm going to go with two. Um, First one is Michael Bisping, but I feel I talk about Michael Bisping all the time. I think when this is when we're I think we're all gonna make miss Michael Bisping pretty quickly because Michael Bisping's never had a fight where there was no hype at all. He's managed to sell every single fight he's ever been in. And I don't think he's lying to me. I think it's just Michael Bisping deciding not to to say everything that comes straight to his mind about his opponent. When he like turns every single fight into a blood feud and makes himself the bad guy in every case. And I think we're going to not appreciate a man who basically never got injured except for the time Vitor Belfort blinded him. And when he hurt his knee a couple of months ago um, and had more fights than anybody, I think, right? Like He's been in the cage more than anybody else. And he definitely won the most or tied for the most wins. There's that. Uh, second one's Jose Aldo. Because I don't think I think we need I think I saw a picture of Jose Aldo um of when because he got his belt. Um he actually got it in um in Detroit. It was uh they that's where they gave him his belt. Because he became the champion kind of by default. Because he was a WC champion and there was no fight to become the UFC champion. Uh that happened. Jose Aldo was champion. I want to give you the time for, he was the champion, extending back to WEC. Um, 
from November 2009 until December 2015. And then he got it again in July of 2016 and held it for about a year. Um, and Jose Aldo gets a world of shit. A world of it. And I know he doesn't help himself a lot with, you know, the way he fights sometimes where he took the last round or two off and no interest in learning English and the fact that Jose talks a bunch of shit about doing a bunch of things and never does anything. All right? Just talks a bunch of shit. But um, he's the greatest featherweight that ever was. Um, had the greatest career of any featherweight. I'm sure Max Holloway is going to find a way to pass that at some point here. But he was one of the best to ever do this. He's 26-4. and four. Um, And sure, he's lost two in a row, three of his last four. And, but you know what? He's had 30 goddamn fights. And he was the man. And I think that this generation of fight fan that showed up in whenever Connor showed up and doesn't think that highly of Jose Aldo, I hope one day they will look up who they're truly dealing with here. Because let me tell you, Connor McGregor knew exactly who Jose Aldo was. Conor McGregor knew how good Jose Aldo was. He knew what he had to do to beat Jose Aldo. And he wasn't that he was calling Aldo a bum. He knew Jose Aldo wasn't a bum. Jose Aldo was arguably the best fighter in the world. All right? And he's lost now. And sure, he lost in 13 seconds. And he looks older now. And he's got his ass beat two times in a row. But he was very underappreciated, especially the end of his run. Um, so, yeah. Um, Mark or Mike, whoever wants to go. Uh, I can go. Uh, I can go first, uh, Mark. Um, I think for me it would probably be uh, Donald Cerrone. Uh, the reason for Donald Cerrone is that it we make fun of him a lot, especially in the last few years, for the amount of times he'll fight in a year, and we'll criticize him for that. Normally, right when he loses a fight. Uh, because we'll always say, well, if you weren't such a wild man and you actually, um, you know, thought about the fights you would take, you would know not to fight this guy, especially three weeks after getting into your last fight. But um, I think one thing that I really appreciate about Donald Cerrone um, that maybe doesn't get said enough is... Um, is that he's the quintessential fight anytime, anywhere type of fighter. Um, a lot of people will say that, especially after they win, where they'll stay because it makes for a good soundbite. But he he lives that life. Um, he can be on the boat, in the lake, wherever the hell he's from, you know, crushing the bud heavies. If Dana White needs a dude, you know, a month from now or two weeks from now, if Donald Cerrone's weight is anywhere near where he could get it done, you know for damn sure he's going to take that fight. Uh, and on top of that, you never really ever get a really boring Donald Cerrone fight, whether it's because he styles on the guy or he gets styled on. You know for a fact that it's not going to be a boring fight. Um, we take him a, We take him for granted, I think, because... We see him so often during the year where we never really get a chance to miss him. And I think when he's finally gone, that's when we'll finally notice just how much of a character he is and just how much he's actually been in our UFC lives for the last few years. 
Um, I hate to point this out to you. You might get sad here, but uh, Cerrone said when saying he's going back to lightweight now, he it was a month or so ago, maybe a couple weeks ago. He said uh, he's not – he can't do it anymore. He's well, not, he can't take as many fights. He can't take as many fights. So he says that. He says that. Let's see what happens, Mike. Let's see. Let's win a man fights three times by June. We'll see. Um, Marcus, what's your thoughts? Um, my first thought was, what a weird and difficult question to ask and get a response for on the Especially fly. when, right before the podcast, we thought it was going to be a different question for <laughs> Well, honestly, okay, look, it's today. like this. I knew this was going to be a long podcast, and I'm like, I got to wedge my Aldo comment into another segment, to be honest. Oh, uh, it's, I mean, it was just, it's <laughs> tough to even, because I mean, I, I agree with both you guys made, made good things, but it's like, even like Mike's is like, yeah, like, you know, Cerrone does take a lot of fights and they're barn burners, but I don't think he's like underappreciated because I think we all kind of love him and how he does that. So it's kind of hard to to kind of play that ground on like how much we should like someone and how much love they actually get. So my pick's a little weird, um, but I have some merit. There's no towards. wrong answer. Yeah, so my uh, most, uh, was it underrated or underappreciated fighter? Uh, I'm going with Bobby Lashley. Because here's a guy that really didn't need to go into MMA. He's a pro wrestler. He's making good money. And his competitive drive was just like, yeah, I want to do this. And he fought. He's fought in 17 times, which is a lot for a guy who still does pro wrestling and didn't really put both feet into the MMA pool. But, I mean, I, th I think I think the, the biggest kind of take you take away from what Bobby Lashley did in MMA is just that he never, he never fought for the big organization, and he never really fought the top guys. But here's a guy that, I mean, you talk to other pro wrestlers like Undertaker and stuff, and they all say, like, man, you know, if I was younger, I would have gotten into that MMA stuff. That's really kind of, you know, where I would have liked to align myself if it was big when I was getting into pro wrestling. You know, and here's Bobby Lashley. He was kind of like his best days, I think, when he got into the MMA game were kind of past him. But he was like, no, I still want to do this. This is something I'm passionate about. I'm going to put the time in. I'm going to put the training in. And, I mean, look at the guy was never a barn burner. You know, he's not someone that I think people really sought out. He was kind of a novelty act. But that kind of goes to the part where he wasn't really appreciated for what he was doing and still kind of isn't. I mean, this is a dude that is basically holding it down at, uh, was it TNA? Or no, TNA. I mean, he's their champion. No one really talks about that. This dude went in and fought. I mean, Look, these guys aren't world beaters, but there's still people that wanted to make a name by beating up Bobby Lashley and couldn't do it because, you know, the guy's a beast. So, yeah, I'm giving it to Bobby Lashley because I feel like that is someone that really isn't appreciated. Yeah, for... I, I totally see your point, Marcus. I was going to say also, I think I would throw um, a comparison would be like when Brock came back. Like see, both times. but I feel like when, what then, you... when Brock came back from the, just the fucking the gut thing the first time, Yeah, I thought the world of him. The second, I, he didn't need to come back at all the second time, but he failed so many drug tests. I can't really give him the credit I want to for coming back for a fight he didn't need to come back for. And I mean, for me, it's kind of when you say underappreciated, I really look at that not getting appreciated. No one cares about Bobby Lashley being an MMA. Like, I don't, be honest with me, did his name even cross your barometer when, you, when this question's asked? Like, no, because he's so unappreciated you don't even think about him on like not even like a daily or monthly basis like a yearly basis this is not someone who's like on the radar but uh, that, that's why i picked him is mostly i was looking because i mean i, I don't want to like you know discourage your guys's picks but i think like a lot of people appreciate jose aldo and i think i think michael bisbing is probably one of those guys that doesn't get a lot of appreciation but people know who he is and i think they i think when you really look at his career and really ask somebody like do you really 
not enjoy what this guy had tried to accomplish with the skill set he has. Like, no, that dude always comes out. He sells a fight, like you mentioned, Bobby. He comes out there and he gives it his all. And I think Bobby Lashley is one of those guys who kind of threw his hat in there. He fought in smaller organizations. You know, he wasn't under the bright lights when he first came in. He did it as someone that just wanted to try this thing out. And um, I don't think a lot of people really appreciated him coming over from pro wrestling into MMA like they did with Brock. I mean, Brock wasn't underappreciated at all. He was a fucking ginormous monster in the UFC when he jumped over. And even when he fought in K1, like, he was someone that was very appreciated and that people wanted to see. And I don't know if Bobby Lashley ever got that love from the fans because he never accomplished what Brock did outside of MMA or even within it. You know, Brock accomplished a lot more in MMA than Bobby Lashley did. But this is a guy that, you know, I, I respect him because he had another way to make money. He was doing a good job at pro wrestling. You know, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a Brock, obviously. But he had, you know, he had an avenue that he could follow if he wanted to. But he said, no, I want to try this MMA thing. I think, you know, I have the wrestling pedigree. I have the physical capabilities. I want to give it a shot. And whether I go down in flames or become the best superstar, we didn't really know. But he threw his hat in there. And I have to give him a lot of respect. And like I said, I think I really lean on him because a guy who's not really appreciated. A lot of guys, you look at the guys he's following, be like, eh, these are a bunch of no names that they threw at him to try to sell some tickets because you knew that some people liked him. But I think in the grand scheme, people just didn't really care that he, he did this. And I think it's, it's commendable to have something that you're really good at, that you're making a lot of money in, and be like, no, nah, I want to try this other thing that's more dangerous you know, to my well-being and my livelihood because I just have that competitive drive. I think that speaks a lot to his character. I was agreeing with you until you disparaged my picks. So fuck you and your picks. I'm just um, saying, like these things aren't underappreciated. They got Wikipedia pages. Well, okay, first of all, the whole point of this segment is literally not to disagree, it's just to give your opinion and not to get into a debate about it. But I thought I think they're both massively underappreciated. But that's just me. Um, let's do stuff we like. And get out of this motherfucker. Uh, I got nothing. I don't like anything. Mike, go. I started watching the show Godless on Netflix. It has um it has Michelle Dockery from um shit, what the hell's the name of that show? Downton, Downton Abbey. Ab- yeah, Downton Abbey fame. Uh it's got uh Jeff Briv- Jeff Bridge Jeff Bridges? Well uh, I, the- I didn't I, I didn't watch the show. The the anchor from uh the newsroom. What the hell's his name? Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels, not Jeff Bridges. For sure not Jeff Bridges. Uh it's a show I think set in the Wild West, uh, one of those square states, Wyoming, maybe. Well, New Mexico, yes. Uh, San New Mexico, um, I don't know much about it really. I'm like two episodes in, but it's really good. That's all I got. All right. Mark. Um, yeah, I was going to mention it last week and I kind of forgot, but uh, the UFC 3 beta came out and on Friday um, it was an open beta, so you didn't have to get a beta key to play it. So I downloaded it and, uh, you know, uh, gave it a shot. And I, overall, you know, once you get past the learning curve, and I think there is a steep learning curve, especially, I mean, for someone who played a lot of EA UFC 1 and 2, coming into this third installment, they drastically changed the striking and it took a good time for me to kind of wrap my head around how things work and they've, you know, remapped some of the buttons um, and stuff like that. But once you do wrap your head around it, I think the striking has greatly been improved. I think the animations for the strikes um, improved because of the new control that they're trying to implement in the game where essentially now you can always, your, your left stick 
used to be used for two things in the old game when it came to striking. You're moving your character, but also you're pushing in commands on that with button presses to basically do different moves, right? If you want to do a hook, you have to push forward and punch. If you want to do an uppercut, you have to push back and punch. Um, and then you had modifiers. And basically now since the, uh, the left analog stick is only for movement, they had to map some of those other buttons to shoulder buttons. And it just, there's a learning curve. You know, it was really tough. It was frustrating at first. Um, but once I got past that, I really had a, a lot of fun playing the beta. Um, and I'm highly anticipating the full game. Um, there's still a lot of work to be done to really make this, you know, a top tier MMA game. And they haven't done a lot of changes to the ground fighting from UFC 2 or the clinch game. Um, one thing I did like, and I don't know if this was in the other games, is that they they did have a certain uh, on-screen prompt on which way to defend uh, ground transitions, which I think was always tough to read in the other games. So having this little uh, icon on the screen to kind of indicate, like, oh, this guy's moving right. You have to block to the right to block his transition. I think it really helps try to give you more control when you're, uh, you know, grappling with guys. Um, but, yeah, I just I really enjoyed my time with the game. Uh, I think it is an improvement over two. And I think what's kind of sad is I, after seeing what they did with the striking and the improvements they made there, I kind of want them to get one more crack at an MMA game because I think they're getting closer and closer into producing something that could be really special. Um, I don't think that this game is quite there. I think they really need to make some improvements on the ground game to make it just easier to kind of figure out what's going on and how to defend yourself and how to advance. Um, if they can do that, if they can really notch up the the clinch game and the grappling game along with the improved striking, I think they really have something special on their hands. I don't know if this game's going to quite get there, but I really enjoyed my time with it. I had a lot of fun. And like I said, I think the striking, once you get your head wrapped around it, is um, you know is a lot more enjoyable than it was in the other games. Um, there's still some things I don't like about it. I don't know why they have this button delay when you're doing punches where you basically push a button and it takes like a half second for the character to actually do it. It's not very responsive. And I think that might be because they want people to utilize the ability to cancel out of moves when you're throwing it before the strike actually gets thrown. So they're giving you extra time to cancel out. But I think it just makes it not as responsive and just feels like the controls are a little sluggish because of it. Um, but I think it's a design choice that they made and they have to kind of like sleep with it. But I, I do wish it was a little bit more responsive on the button presses. But uh yeah, I'm trying to think of other stuff. Uh, mainly, I just wanted to... I mean, I've talked about it a bunch, but every time I read an Archie comic, I just have to mention that, like, this shit is so good. Like, I read Archie, and then after the... I, I close the book, and I'm like, fuck, this comic book is... It is so much better than it has any right to be. I mean, they really touch on human emotions and just how we deal with, you know, the complexity of life. And I don't think you really expect that from an Archie comic. And they do it in really subtle ways. But the way they kind of communicate friendship and loss and depression, I think is really interesting. It's really, like I said, just it, it's so much better than it has any right to be. Um, yeah, I think that's it. I think that's all I got. All right. Watch out. Um, that's it for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week where we're going to talk about Robbie Lawler and Rafael Dos Anjos card on Fox, which is... Uh, pretty fucking stacked, I guess, would be the technical definition of what's going on over there. Um, between that fight, between the uh, Dos Anjos-Lawler fight, which allegedly is going to produce a number one contender. They got Ricardo Lamas, Josh Emmett, uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio, Mike Perry, Glover Teixeira, Misha Serkinov, uh, Josh, uh, Jared Cannonier, Jan Blakowicz, um, Jordan Mee and Eric Silva's on there. We got a, we got a, oh, we lost, uh, 
Scoggins, but Tim Elliott's still going to be on the card. So we got enough good people on there. And it's on it's on Main Fox, so we'll see. Um, that's it for this week, though. Thank you all so much for listening. Um, this is like episode 260-something. So thanks for getting us this far. Um, see you all next week. And uh, peace out. See ya.